You have 24 Minutes, the podcast from 24-Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. Robbie van Bogart is nightlife expert for the city of Antwerp, Belgium. He also has an event planning business, a job working with young people in nightlife, and he is a club and festival DJ. However, what I wanted most to talk with him about is his very personal human power project. We'll get to that, but first, a little about his event business, Eventure. Eventure, it's all about organizing an event and the adventure while you're organizing an event. And my role is uh, together with my partner, Bert, we are the founders of Eventure. And what we want to do with Eventure is um, I'm working for many years uh, in for the government by guiding youngsters in organizing events. I almost worked for 20 years in this. And after 10 years, I was like, okay, I want to work more internationally and I want to work more with professionals around Belgium and abroad. So what I always feel when people are organizing an adventure, it's always a jungle. You always have to fight through a lot of regulations, a lot of rules, a lot of finding your path and your mission. And what we want to do with the venture is actually that we are guiding these people. We are helping them, giving a hand, helping them through the process. It could be like in legislations, in rules, but also helping you in helping you by building things. So some of our people we have working with, it could be that they have a location, they want to open a location, and one week before they have troubles with the government and they can't open. Then they ask us to come. We jump in with a whole team of uh, crazy specialists, and we are just trying to help them to open the location after a week. Sometimes they even say to them, hey, guys, you're like the A-team of events. And next to that, uh, we also have Eventure Academy, and we are training people uh, internationally and in Belgium about the skills, about the knowledge we have and how to they can be professionals. And what we also love to do is unite people, people and we have a community-based project, Eventure Tribe, where we bring people together and the tribe is growing. We are looking for more people to connect. But for now, it's in Belgium, in France, and in Spain. And the tribe, the goal of the tribe is to do what? The goal of the tribe is we are not a structured organization. We go back to basics. We just unite friends and people with a good soul together, connect the energy, and help each other with missions. And if we need, we whistle on our fingers, and we are ready to go for it. Now, I saw references, and you referenced to me in a previous conversation about meat pack. And, and I remember a lot of folks in Europe just buzzing about how exciting meat pack was. What, what was it, and what did it set out to accomplish? It was actually, we found that we have been doing different projects in the city. Uh, a previous project that we had was that we've been working on building a temporary spaces for people to organize something. First, we had uh, an abandoned space in the forest and we put there a mirror tent and we had the magic spiegel tent. So in the summer, when all the rooms were closed, people could come to this tent to organize their project. So we give them an extra space. Next to this forest place and this tent location, me and my buddies uh, from Enve Conge, they do other projects. We came to the idea, okay, let's do something that the city haven't seen. Let's find an old factory and let's start a creative factory, not for three months, but for some years. So we found a space, 5,000 square meters of empty location, and it was close to the slaughter area. So we had two goals. The first goal was, okay, let's create a creative factory where we can give space to nightlife, contemporary art, street art, 
ateliers for artists, youth work, and many people and organizations from the area. But the second goal was that a big project developer was going to develop the whole meatpack area. And we wanted to give them something that you can call cultural gentrification. And what we want to give, give them was the fact like, okay, let's create something, a brand for them that they will love. And let's try to create a temporary space, very strong. But after we ha have to leave this space, we're going to ask the project developer for a real space that we can keep for years. So everything that's going to be developed in the area can stay from creativity. First of all, what you do, you get the space from the project developer. In return, they get a brand. They get something nice. The local community have a new house. They can develop themselves in a new building. But on the other side, that's the gentrification. It's a cool area where the city developer is going to develop their apartments and people would love to come to live. So on one side, we want to steal a little bit of the money from the project developer to give it back to the people. But on the other side, we give the candidate project developer wants to have. That's what you meant by cultural gentrification, because yes. I saw that language. And this seems to be something that uh, Europe is doing better than the States. In the States, a uh, developer comes in and just scrapes whatever cultural community was there. But you're kind of saying, we're going to create an atmosphere here that makes it even more attractive for you to do your development if you hold a place for us in the future, right? Yeah, You give us the space, we do the job, you get the vibe from us. And we do it for the community and give it to the community. So the community that would be pushed out can stay, have a better future, and you will have a good area where people want to live and you have a social life. Because that's the thing what we see in project development. Sometimes they trash the whole area. It's going to develop. And when the people that come there and start to live, they complain because it's just boring. Right. And you don't want to be in an area that's just over-gentrified and it's boring with only the same coffee shop. No, you want an area with also underground culture. You want an area with cool things. You want an area where your kids love to grow up. And you want an area where local people still can stay and be creative. And that's what we try to do, to bring these two things together. I have a whole bunch of business developers in the United States I need for you to talk to. So let's talk about you just a little bit. How, how did you go from being a DJ or how did you become a DJ? Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, my story is actually that, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit raised by two men. Uh, my biologically father was a DJ. When I grew up, uh, he had a, a store and I was there in the weekends with him. And uh, sometimes he was very busy. So he had a turntable in the back of the shop and he put me behind the turntable with two records and I stayed there for hours. And because I'm not always able to jump off the, the, the high uh, bar uh, chair, uh, I was sometimes stuck because he was busy. So I was playing hours and hours and hours of records. And that's actually how I became a DJ. Uh, my mission continued uh, after my parents divorced. And I'm raised by a very good other father. And uh, I became a social worker. And all what I do, my social part, is because of my raising dad. And but I was still organizing parties when I was six, seven in my in my in my bedroom, switching off the light all the time on and off till it was broken or started up organizing parties in the garage. Yeah. And that's how I became a DJ. And uh, I have a father of two boys, five and seven, uh, eight already. And uh, yeah, that's what I do with them. They love to play with my stuff. So oh, really, that's very cool. Keep keep 
keep it going generationally. That's what I say. But now you made a reference about not being able to jump up. Let's we're going to talk about this now. So we need to bring up multiple epiphyseal. How does that pronounced? Yeah, it's multi epiphyseal dysplasia. So okay. to all the listeners, I would say raise your hand. You can't see my hand, but if you raise your hand, go with your hand, your right hand. You go to the left, please. Okay. Go to the left. You turn your head. If you go all to the other side, you switch like almost 90 degrees. I am stuck at 45 degrees. So I only can raise my hands straight. I can't switch to the other side. So the problem with my wrist is that many mobility of my wrist is stuck. So every wrist from my body is different than yours. So it's quite painful. I got a lot of infections. And I'm also, uh, when I break something or uh, I'm a little smaller, I'm one meter 63. Um, I'm quite big actually for my disorder. Uh, for example, my two boys are the biggest from the classroom. So my brothers are big. So we are big people, but I'm the smallest of that. With this multidisciplinary dysplasia, I was born with, uh, yeah, my feet were a little uh, not straight. So uh, it was not so bad, but they operated me when I was a few weeks old and they put me in plaster. And when I came out, I couldn't stretch my legs anymore. So it was actually a big mistake from the doctors. Mm -hmm. And then I stayed in the wheelchair for almost till my six, seven years. And then luckily after traveling uh, some countries and uh, many hospitals, I found a doctor in Amsterdam and then they searched me and I had to start walking from zero. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to start walking like every other uh, child. So I did some running competitions. I've been a skater with sticks, trying not to have any boundaries. And so here you are, you're in this very nomadic world of performing artists, DJs, etc., who get gigs with clubs and festivals and raves, and, and you have MED. What are some of your firsthand experiences with nightlife as a person with this condition uh, what word would you use? Condition, disability, physical difference? What what term do I want to use? Yeah, I think it's de it depends how you look at it. If you say it's a disability, it's sometimes you can't do. But if you want, there are no borders. Uh, if you say condition, then it's the situation you are living in. So I would choose for myself as a condition. Okay. Because what I try to do is leave every border and fight to have also nightlife without borders. Right. So. That's how I try to look at the way I'm living. So if, if you're talking about my life, nightlife experience, um, first of all, it's sometimes I use a wheelchair for long distance. So I find it in my life to try to leave my wheelchair aside. So uh, today I only use my wheelchair as my bike. So it means I travel with it. I do long distance with it. I go to a festival of four or five days with it. And as a secret, maybe I can bring in a little booze with it inside. But whatever, <laughs> eh? it's my bike. So we try to make some fun with that. So for my daily life, for my work, for my children, for I don't use my bike. But when I want to go to a nightlife club, it depends on what country I need my bike. Right. For example, I go out in my city. I don't need my bike to go out because in Antwerp, it's quite easy when you're in the waiting line to get in. You're never in a line that more than five to 10 minutes. When I go, for example, to Berlin, 
I really need my bike because I have to stand hours and hours in the waiting line. And for me, that is not possible. Right. Dancing, okay. Standing still and looking to a concert, it's the double of heavy for me. So there is the big difference. What country, what is the waiting line and how long do I have to wait to get in? If I don't have to wait to get in, then it's maybe possible for me to go dance and when there is a chill out room to sit down once a while for 10 minutes and then dance again. So if I come with my uh, wheelchair, there are different experiences like how to get in, then passing the bouncers. Is this a cool bouncer that let me in? Or there are bouncers they have refusing you because there is no space or mm. it's unsafe for fire regulations or we have a staircase. And actually, this is all bullshit. You know, If you want to be an inclusive club or you want to be a nightlife space that say, yeah, we are there for the black people, for the LGBTQ people, then you also have to be there for the people with a disability and open your door. Okay. And so in 2016, I think you were at the Boom Festival, which is in Portugal, right? And, and it takes yes. place every other year, I think, when there's like a full moon or something. And so you're there at Boom. And then what happened? You had an idea that kind of took root then. What was that? Yeah, actually, my story is a little bit like I was uh, in 2012. I didn't know. I was just chilling out the lake at the Boom Festival, spacing in the morning sun just on my own. And there was a photographer, he took a picture of me because I was in, in my own, no friends around me and enjoying the sunrise. And without knowing, in 2014, I went to the website of Boom Festival and without knowing, my picture was on their banner. And I contacted them and I said, hey, guys, I'm on your banner. Without knowing, my picture inspired a whole organization to start doing something about accessibility. And I was like, okay, if I can make a change with just enjoying the sunrise and a picture, then maybe I have to do something else. So in 2016, I was in a very bad condition. I was almost to start to get paralyzed. I was losing the power between my head, my brains, and my legs because of a spinal problem. So I went to the doctor and he said, yeah, man, you need a surgery. You really need it because you're going to be paralyzed. And I was like, okay, so doctor, how long does it take before you can search? He said, okay, if you want, it can be very fast, but you need to start walking. I say, yeah, okay, how long does it take to start working? Nine months, maybe a year? I say, okay, doctor, so when can I come? If you want on Monday, it's Thursday, but you have to think about it, it's going gonna, gonna to be heavy. I say, no worries, Monday I will be there. I went to a rave in the weekend, lost my wallet and all my ID papers. I just had my travel passport. I went to the doctor on Monday. I say, man, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go for it. He put me on his table. He searched me. I woke up, I didn't feel my tones in the beginning, but I trained and in three months I made it. And I was ready during this time of revalidation. I was looking for a quite different sound of techno I was playing before. And I was looking more for the alchemy, is uh, the, the techno stage of the boom, more the psychedelic techno. And I created a new sound for myself. I said to the doctor, sorry, and to my parents, sorry, I got to travel to the boom there. You are crazy. No, I got to do it. My whole crew left with the vans and the cars, and I couldn't join them because it was too long of driving and sitting down a chair because it hurts too much. So I took a flight on my own with my wheelchair and just my music in my backpack. The rest of the stuff my brother has with him. So I arrived in Portugal, no boom bus ticket because it's almost a, a day of traveling with the boom bus. So I did it on my own. 
by train, by car, hitchhiking, went to the festival. I arrived. I went to the Funky Beach stage. It's a stage, smaller stage, but they have a party on day zero before the festival starts. I explained them my story. I say, please let me play. They let me play for one hour during sunset. But at the end, I played for three and a half hours. And that was the moment that everybody was, oh, wow, what is this? And I was, okay, I'm ready to start with a new project. And the Human Power Project was born. And the Human Power Project was born. And so what what are you doing with that? Is this, this are there other DJs involved? Or is it this mostly your activism and your voice trying to communicate and break through the nightlife and festival scene saying, let's be more inclusive now of people with different physical conditions? Yes. Uh, like I told you, I worked for 20 years for the city of Antwerp. Uh, I worked there also as a nightlife expert. I was trying to start up the nightlife policy. I work, yeah, with the adventure thing and I'm, uh, you know, my uh, disability. And I was like, okay, time to make a change. Time to start speaking and DJing about it. So what I tried to do as an activist, it's not the adventure business. It's not the city business. It's just me as a person. Gotcha. So I want to stand up and say, yeah, hey, guys, my mission is two things. First of all, I want to talk to everybody with mentally and physically problems. Finally, yeah, if you have a border in your life, if you have a trouble, I'm here to speak with you, listen to your story and play some music for you to convince you that you also have your own human power. It's not about me. It's about everybody and every individual can make something out of his life. And I try to inspire the people with my story. That's it. Second of all, I want to kick people's their ass. And I want to stand up, go to the clubs, go to the nightlife people, go to the festival as an expert and say, hey, why are not you're not doing something about accessibility? I can give you advice, but it also can be cool. It also can be sexy. You should do something if you are an open-minded location. It's not only about black people. It's not only about LGBTQ. That's inclusion also, but also the real inclusion is to have something for people with accessibility. So that's my point, and that's what I try to do with playing pumping techno and raising my voice uh, on different places. It's about creating a mindfulness, don't you think, in the festival world and in the nightclub world that we don't often think about this, but we need to think about this, and your voice is helping people think about that, correct? Yes, it's all about transformational culture. And that's what's something we have to realize. We are creating transformational culture. And transformational culture is a word that is growing step by step. Because we had pandemic, we were inside, we had problems. The world is on war. And what we are doing, we are creating festivals. We are creating dark spaces in the nightlife with the flashing lights where people can go out of their daily life, wear their black suit and transform them for a few hours and escape from reality. And this moment when people are high or people are just enjoying themselves or getting in love, these are moments we are transforming. And this is also the moment we can touch people, their soul. And that's why I'm like, okay, let's try to touch people, their soul with my pumping music and with my words to try to make a change in the transformational experience and the transformation of the scene. And that's how I look at it. And that's the human power that we can tap into, I think. I am speaking with Robin Van Bogert. He's a founder of Eventsure in Antwerp, Belgium. He's also a DJ and activist, like we just talked about with human power. And then his real job, I guess, is as a nightlife expert for the city of Antwerp. And uh, so 
I've got some links here, uh, www.eventsure.be, also on Facebook and Instagram and on LinkedIn. Uh, there's a little bit there about the EventSure consultancy. You can look up more about their event business. And But I suspect if you want to talk specifically with Robe about um, the Human Power Project, you can reach him through those links too, because this is a voice that needs to be amplified, I believe, around the world. Um, final question, what are some examples of nightlife venues or events that have successfully prioritized accessibility and inclusion? We have some in Belgium and in Holland, it's coming up very good. Maybe you should check it out. It's an organization in Belgium, introvzw.be. They are very specialized in uh, guiding festivals and supplying all the consultancy and all the materials to make it accessible. For example, you all know the Tomorrowland is investing in it. The Dur Festival is investing in it. But also the Boom Festival in Portugal is invested. So it's something that is raising step by step. And as a club, we have multiple clubs in Antwerp that are just built also parts funded by the government, like Trix, for example, in uh, Antwerp, Ampere in Antwerp, they're quite accessible by themselves. So try to invest in it, try to do it. But if you don't have a location and you say, yeah, but we can't be inclusive because we have a stair, then this is not the reason not to be inclusive. You could have a club with an inclusive building, okay, an accessible building, but if you're doing a club in a warehouse or in an underground location, you can't have an accessible building, but you have a, can have an accessible club because you and your staff are open for it. Find your website. The first thing is important for everybody is communication. You should have information on your website, on your banners for people like, welcome, we are an accessible club. We have a stair, so no worries arrive, just knock on our door. We have four strong men in the front of the door and we will help you out. If you want to go to the toilet, just ask to the bar and we will bring you down. But you can have two friends for free inside because they can help you on the toilet because we don't have a special toilet. So simple as that, I think. Okay. And when you come across a venue or an event that does prioritize accessibility, what's that mean to you personally, Robin? I think it's good that they work on it. But to be example, sometimes you just want to be inclusive like everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Festivals. Sometimes festivals have an inclusion campsite. And they say, yeah, we are inclusive. But then the rules are, you can bring two friends. You should stay at the inclusion camp. And we built a fence around this camp. So welcome. No, thank you. I have a crew. I have 20 friends. I just want to get in. I want to put my tent on a space that's not too far. And where can I put all my friends together? And please, that we can be in the area where there is a toilet and maybe a shower I can use quite easily. That's the way you should look at inclusion. Because you just want to be like every other raver and just enjoy you and your bunch of friends. And the only thing what you need is a little bit extra help. Maybe a toilet that is specialized. Maybe a clearer parking space, yes. But to camp, please provide us from good space where we can camp with all our friends and install facilitations close by. And that's the way to look at inclusion. And it's the same as a club. Please, if we have to wait in a waiting line and I'm in a wheelchair, that's not the biggest problem. But let me in with two friends that can help me. 
And if I don't have a wheelchair, because for me, that's a big difference. When I come with my wheelchair to your club, I have all the rights to be in a wheelchair. If I don't come with my wheelchair, I don't, don't have any rights, but I'm still in the same body. So why you don't provide a few chairs in the waiting line? There may be there are other people with problems in their knees or their feet. Give them a chair so they can sit in the waiting line and wait for an hour. That's not a big problem. If you can sit down, you can still stay together with your friends. Or maybe you have some bar chairs. I would love to have a bar chair once in a while and sit on the bar chair on the dance floor. I'm still the same space. Maybe I'm even higher on the bar chair. I still can move my upper body and dance, but I can sit down a little bit. So this is the way on how to be creative and not to invest all the biggest inclusion money and building budgets, but just the way of looking to the topic and think how we can find a good solution that's good for every human body. The opportunity for those of us who have no physical challenge is to consider that there are people who do. Perhaps succeeding at that can be our human power. This has been Season 2, Episode 28 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us online at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. Thank you.